and turn to Luke chapter 12. Uh, Luke chapter 12. Uh, what we'll do is we'll read uh, chapter 12 verses 49 through the end of the chapter. Um, I'll pray and then we will get going. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 49. Jesus speaking. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided against three, against two, and two against three. There, they will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be a scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right as you go with your accuser before the magistrate? Make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Let's pray. Holy and righteous God, we are honored with the privilege we have to enter into your presence. God, as we have already stated, there is none besides you. You are the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, we want to give you the proper place in our hearts this morning, the proper place in our lives. We want to give you the supreme place, the name that is above every name, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. And it's through this Jesus we come to you now, Lord, the King, asking for the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, God, we are so aware of our failures when we enter your presence, how we have been unrighteous, unholy, and full of blame, shame, regret. God, in a room this size, many of us come with a variety of different sins this morning. But we all come by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, pleading with your forgiveness. God, we know that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. But dear God, we know that with the shedding of blood, there is forgiveness. So God, I pray now uh, for our hearts that we would know that we have forgiveness only in Christ. But God, in Christ, we are forgiven. So you who are faithful and just, cleanse us from our sin. Purify us that we may live for your glory. Dear God, we thank you for new life. We thank you for uh, Braxton, for Karina and Jeff. We thank you so much for their, for their ministry to this church. God, we pray that you would continue to use this church for the upbuilding of their faith. God, we pray for young Braxton. God, we pray that you would grow him up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. God, that you would call him at a young age. Let him serve you for all his days. God, we pray for Brindley as she, ad- she adjusts to a, a new baby at home. God, give her grace. Um, to be gracious and kind. Father, we pray for those who are in our 
miss who are struggling with sickness, God. We pray for um, Ms. Betty and Tommy Franks, God. We pray that you continue to work in their lives. God, we also pray for the family of Harold Mungan who passed this past week. God, we thank you for his ministry in this church. God, we pray that he would be reflected well and thought of accurately in the days ahead. But God, we pray for the family that as they mourn, that you would comfort them by your grace. Uh, dear God, we also pray for the preaching of your word in our city. God, we pray for a unity among pastors that we would not uh, bring the appeal of the gospel of God with air or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but that God, we would work night and day to proclaim the true gospel to the people of God. Uh, to that end, God, we lift up Scott Davis at Northside. We pray that you would just bless uh, their church. We pray that you would continue to give them the sweet spirit of, of praise. God, we pray as the word is preached this morning that people would hear and believe. Uh, God, we pray. I pray now for the people I love, the people you have, have given me uh, to serve. God, I pray for their hearts. God, we pray that they would receive the word of God not as were a word of man, but God, as it really is, as the word of God that is at work in their lives. So God, I pray that the word of God would work in their lives. God, that the word of God with power, that the Holy Spirit of God would penetrate their hearts. God, that you would awaken dead hearts, that you would drive them from sin, that you would lead them to the cross, God. We pray that every ounce of their being would desire to live for your glory and your glory alone. For God, there is none besides you. You are holy and righteous and all worth praise and glory. So God, I pray now as the word is preached, God, I pray that I would just have boldness in you to declare the gospel of God to your people. Build them up, move them from one degree of glory to the next, form them into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, beloved, there is a lot of conflict in our world. Uh, you don't have to look far before you discover some form of conflict. It's around every corner, on the front of every uh, magazine. Uh, we live in a divided and conflicted world. Uh, in October of 2013, our government was forced to shut down because two uh, of the major political parties could not agree on a compromise. Uh, we are a red and blue nation, Republican and Democrats, fighting on the front page of the paper, on cable TV, and sadly, even on social media. Uh, Americans are sick and tired of this political bickering and strongly desire to live in a more peaceable nation. In addition to politics, Americans are sick of religious bickering. They desire to have a religious peace and unity among various faith. This is why Pope Francis has been applauded throughout our country and the world as one who is bringing unity among different faiths. On February 28, 2014, just a few months ago, Pope Francis brought together a group of Muslims and Jews and Christians for an interfaith dialogue uh, the Pope said to the diverse group, and I quote, the majority of us know how to coexist. It's easier for us, and that's a clear message. It's a message that we have the same Father up in heaven and the same Father down on earth. We adore Him. Uh, the Pope, reaching across 
the Isle of Faith has gained him worldwide acclaim and respect. He wants to bring peace among different people of faiths. And beloved, our culture is ready for this kind of peace. Our culture desperately wants to be united around love and tolerance and goodwill. I mean, who wouldn't want unity between different faiths? For starters, Jesus Christ does not want unity between varying faiths. The Lord Jesus Christ challenges this false unity and this false peace with the truth of the gospel that he came to proclaim. Beloved, we want unity, but unity can never be divorced from truth. And the truth is revealed in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says here, Jesus did not come to bring unity among faiths. He came to bring people to himself and himself alone. As we've already read, there is one God and there is no other. He came to challenge the world. So we're going to examine three challenges the Lord came to bring to our world. I pray that that today you have the same mind of Jesus Christ and likewise challenge the ways of this world. If you want to follow along in the bulletin provided for you, just flip to the back and you'll see the first point. The Lord challenges worldly peace. The Lord challenges a worldly peace. We pick up this section of Jesus' speech following a strong warning of the coming judgment. Jesus says, look and be ready for that day. And if you're ready and if you're awake for my coming, you will be blessed on that day. And after looking ahead to this last judgment, Jesus provides one of the purposes of why he came, the purposes of his incarnation. Look with me in Luke 12, 49. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus said, I came. Now let's just, before we go any further, let's just pause for a moment and consider those two words. Jesus the eternal Son of God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who upholds this universe by the word of his power, the judge of the living and the dead, came. Jesus came. Those two words are full of meaning. Never lose your wonder and your awe that the God of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords came for you. Jesus came, not only, he not only came, but he also came for a specific purpose. So we see right there, it says Jesus came to cast fire on the earth. Now when you read this in the original language, it, it, it kind of it shifts the order. It places the emphasis on the, the fire. So if you would read it in the Greek, you would literally read, for fire I have come upon the earth. 
the fire is what is emphasized in this sentence. So we have to ask, what is this fire? Now, fire can refer to several different concepts throughout the, the scriptures. A fire uh, is a picture of God's judgment. It's a, it's a picture often used of the Holy Spirit coming down. It's a picture of God's message proclaimed through his prophets. Now, I think all three can be assumed in this passage. Uh, Jesus is coming with fire of God's judgment to bring the fire of the Holy Spirit through the fire of the message of the gospel of God. So let me explain. Let me look how Jesus finishes this statement. He says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. But Jesus said the fire had not yet been kindled. In the very next statement, he talks of his baptism that is coming. His baptism is referring to his, his coming judgment, his coming death in Jerusalem. Now remember that, that turning point in Luke's gospel is Luke 9, 51. It says from that point on, he set his face to Jerusalem. So everything we read from Luke 9, 51 to the end of the chapter is Jesus making a beeline towards his death. That is what's on his mind. The fire of judgment is coming that will fall on Jesus on the cross. His baptism is bearing the sins of the world to condemn sin in the flesh. I mean, he was on his way to Jerusalem and he had his eyes fixed on the cross. I mean, he knew what lay before him. He knew, and yet his heart longed to accomplish it. He knew that he had to be judged. He knew that he had to become sin. He knew that he had to be crushed for yours and my sin. He had to be cursed on a tree. He knew what was coming, and yet he longed for it to come. Why? Because his death, his being judged by God, would bring salvation to me and to you. It would bring his people from death to life, from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. I mean, what a great God. He came to seek and to save that which was lost through the shedding of his own blood. And having satisfied God's righteous, fiery judgment on the cross, God vindicated him by raising him from the dead, giving us hope, hope for a new life. Now, notice how the message of the cross does not bring unity. Now, this is sometimes unpopular, and maybe some of you here may find this message unpopular. Now, the, the question is, is why? You know, we have to wrestle with this, what Jesus is, is saying. There is no unity outside the cross. After Jesus talks about his death coming, the baptism of his death, look what he says. Do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? Now, many in the crowd thought that Jesus was the, the Messiah who was going to come in glory, that he was going to usher in his reign at that moment. He said, do you think I've come to bring peace? He says, no, rather division. From now on, even the closest of relationships in a family will be divided. Uh, Jesus has not come to unite all faiths in the world, but to provide the only true faith. 
Now, in our pluralistic age, that is not comfortable to say. So you're saying that other people are wrong in their beliefs, and I am saying that is what Jesus Christ is saying. How we view Jesus Christ and how we view the message of the cross determines which side we fall. We are either going to be with Jesus or against him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way of salvation is through Jesus Christ. And yet all those who receive Jesus Christ, those who accept him, have the right to become children of God. First or John chapter 1, verse 12. It is to the Christian who have been baptized by the Holy Spirit with the spirit of adoption in which we call God our Father. Muslims and Jews do not have the same Father. They have not come through the Son. We have received the spirit of adoption through the Son. We only call God Father through the Spirit which He has given us when we receive the Son. So without Jesus Christ, there can not be true unity. If people speak of a unity outside of Jesus Christ, they are going against the words of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus not only does not bring unity between different faiths, but he even divides the closest of relationships. He challenges a worldly peace by creating true peace through the gospel. Now, Jesus offers peace, beloved, doesn't he? He offers peace to the blood of his cross. If you come to Christ, you will have peace with God. What's more important to you, having peace with God or having peace with your fellow man? The question for us is who will we side with? Will we fight for interfaith unity and forsake the gospel of God revealed through his son? Or will we fight for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and forsake all else, even our closest relationships. Jesus is the great dividing line. You're either with him or against him. We either believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven or we believe that other faiths are legitimate and stand opposed to the message of the New Testament. So which would you rather have again? Peace with your fellow man or peace with God? Jesus came to challenge a worldly peace. But the second thing he does is he came to challenge a worldly perspective, a worldly perspective. We see in verse 54, Jesus turns his attention away from his disciples and again addresses the crowd. In verse 54, he says, He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the, the appearance of the earth and sky. And why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Jesus rebukes the crowd because they so easily can interpret the weather, but they cannot interpret the meaning of his coming, of the Lord in, of glory standing right in front of him. In those days, people had to trust their own interpretation of the weather. They would look to the sky. Uh, they would uh, look and be able to determine what weather was coming. Uh, we listen to the Weather Channel. Uh, we listen to the meteorologists, as many of you did this past week, and that said, a storm is coming. Um, my wife normally never prepares for a storm, uh, but for whatever reason, this one, she made us buy batteries. Uh, she, she filled up water, jugs of water. She made sure we had plenty of, of, of peanut butter. 
um, so that she would avoid the catastrophic claims of the meteorologists that were coming. Um, and nothing happened. <laughs> Crisis averted. Uh, my wife takes credit the fact that the storm missed Rock Hill because she was prepared. So you're welcome. When you see my wife, make sure you come and thank her for saving you thousands of dollars of damage for her preparedness. Um, but our culture loves the Weather Channel, don't we? We love to know what's, what's coming. Uh, we love to know what kind of weather is coming our way, and we attempt to interpret the signs. But are we interpreting the present time? I mean, the crowds knew the weather, but they did not rightly interpret Jesus Christ. Jesus calls them hypocrites. We may take great care in understanding the weather, then why do we not take great care in understanding the things of God? Beloved, would Jesus call you a hypocrite as he did the crowds then? Take so much time looking at the things we see, at the things we touch, and you completely miss the unseen, the spiritual realm that God has brought in his spirit. Are we so focused on our temporal peace and relational happiness that we miss the true purpose of life? Jesus came to bring division through the message of his judgment. So he also came to bring this, we also came to bring the same message. Jesus came into the world to cast fire upon the earth to divide those who were going to be either for him or against him. As we've been studying in on Wednesday night, 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Simple application. Interpret the present time of what's going on around us by the light of the Scriptures, by the revelation of God's holy word. Everyone that confesses that faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation is from God. And everyone who else stands opposed to God. We live in an interesting cult culture. I think America is just, the, kind of the cultural tides are changing. Uh, we love tolerance, yet are intolerant. Uh, we love unity and yet are divided. Um, one of the most important things a church can do uh, is to be resolved in our hearts to trust and believe that this is God's holy word. Uh, one of the prayers that I've been praying for you as a, as a church um, again and again, it uh, comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. It says this, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Beloved, we need to resolve in our hearts that the word of God is what we are going to stand on. Our culture is shifting. Our culture will change. But we must not accept the word of God as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God. 
And when we accept it as the word of God, what happens? It is at work in you believers. This is why when I stand on Sunday morning and I preach this word, I know God is working. God is changing you. God is is moving you from one degree of glory to the next. He's making you love him more and more. Why? Because that is what God does. When God's people listen and accept God's word as his word, we change. We change for his glory, for God's glory. So, beloved, will you accept this word? It offends the sinner. It goes against cultural sensibilities. It offends the religious as well as the philosopher. And yet, as we accept it this morning, we know it is at work. Will we accept it? Beloved, we must interpret the present time in light of eternity. This is the whole passage of what Jesus is saying, isn't it? The end is coming. Do not be on the wrong side of history by going with the cultural flow of secularism and following a worldly perspective. But resolve in your heart to trust the word revealed, the incarnate word, the spoken word, Jesus Christ above all else. Lastly, we conclude that the Lord challenges a worldly prudence. The, world, world, the Lord challenges a worldly prudence. Uh, Jesus closes with an appeal to the the crowd for them to judge rightly, to think right thoughts. He does not want them to think in a a worldly wisdom, but the sound judgment that comes from contemplating one's own sin against a holy God. Look at how Jesus starts in verse 57. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, Make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Uh, Jesus is encouraging the crowds to settle their accounts. Settle your accounts while you are on the way before it is too late. You'll have to pay the last penny. Penny. If I could just take a break from the text, this is some of the most practical, helpful marriage advice you can ever have. When you're wrong, admit it. (laughs) Boom! Change your life, okay? If you understand that when you're wrong, you just admit it. What else can they do? Continue to tell you that you're wrong? You're right. And what happens when you're in an argument and you drop your uh, pride and you humble yourself? Guess what happens to the other person? Well, I'm sorry, I'm wrong too. But if you buck up and try to defend yourself, that's when the fight happens. Practical marriage advice, that one is free. Send the check in the mail or tithe. Um, But when we see here in the passage, the accuser here. In the passage, is not our spouse, it's God himself. Jesus is encouraging people, encouraging us to settle our accounts with God. This weekend, I was talking with um, someone in my neighborhood and about his relationship with his family and, and faith, uh, an older man, and um, he had a lot of bitterness against his family. You could tell that he would really have been hurt by his family, and instead of working to reconcile um, 
He just kind of embittered himself and closed off with his family. I don't want anything to do with my family if that's the way they're going to treat me. Uh, He said this, I know that I'm a bitter old man. I don't know. Maybe I will forgive them on my deathbed. So I had a choice. Am I going to tell him what the Bible says? I encouraged him what the Lord Jesus did. I said, don't wait. Settle your accounts with God. I told him that Jesus said himself, if you do not forgive others of their sins, he will not forgive you of yours. So an unpopular message given to someone in our culture about that one way of salvation through Jesus Christ, and he accepted that right as I said it, didn't he? No. He ended the conversation and walked away. That happens. But guess what? He needs to settle his account with God. Beloved, there are grave consequences to judge wrongly. Uh, Jesus says in verse 59, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Those are strong words. And what Jesus is picturing there, he's picturing an eternal hell, a literal hell where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. God will make every person pay their debt. And here's the problem, guys. We cannot pay our debt. Our debt, because of our sin, we can't pay. We can't do enough good things to overcome the bad. One sin, one block, one blot, one transgression separates us from God. This is why God says, settle your accounts. But you know the great thing about our God? Our God settled our accounts for us by taking our payment on the cross, by dying. He came to die for you that you may live. John MacArthur shares a story of a particular tribe in Russia that provides a great picture of how God settles our accounts. This will be our conclusion. He quotes this, The tribes were controlled the best hunting and the choicest natural resources were the tribes which had the strongest and the wisest leaders. The single tribe which controlled the very best of the territory was the tribe with the most powerful and the most wise leader. One particular tribe maintained its control of the choice land because its leader was not only the most physically powerful, but the most wise of all. And the success of the tribe was due to the fairness and equity and the wisdom of the laws this great leader gave and enforced to his people. His word and his law, among his greatest laws, were the parents must be loved and honored. Amen. Sounds strangely biblical. His parents must be loved and honored. He also said that murder was punishable by death and stealing was to be severely punished. The tribe was prospering greatly when suddenly a disturbing thing happened. Someone in the tribe was stealing. Uh, It was reported to the great leader this was going on and he sent one out and the proclamation that the thief were caught, he would receive a severe punishment, 10 lashes from the tribal whipmaster. And yet stealing continued. So he raised it from 10 to 20 lashes. And then he raised it to 30 lashes. And finally he raised it to 40 lashes. And he knew that there was only one person in the whole tribe that could survive that lashing. And that was him because of his superior strength and power. Finally, the thief was caught. To the horror of everyone, 
It was his own mother. The tribe was in shock. What was the leader going to do? His law was in everything. The parents are to be loved and honored. But thieves were to be whipped. Great arguments arose at the day of judgment. Was he going to satisfy his love and save his mother? Or was he going to satisfy his law and have her die under the whip because she could never endure that? Soon tribal members were divided, even making wagers on what he would do. So finally the day of judgment came. The tribe was gathered around this great compound in the center with a large post driven to the ground. The leader's great throne sat in place of prominence with great pomp and ceremony. The leader entered, took his place on the throne. Silence was deafening. Soon his frail mother was brought in between towering warriors. They tied her to the post. The crowd murmured in debate, will he satisfy his love at the expense of his law? Or will his law at the expense of his love? The tribal whipmaster entered, a powerful man with bulging muscles, a great leather whip in his hand. As he approached the little lady, the warrior ripped off her shirt, exposing her frail little back to the cruelty of the lash. Everyone gasped. Was the leader really going to let her die? He sat staring without moving. Every eye was darting back and forth at the whipmaster, back to the leader. The whipmaster cracked his whip in the air as he prepared to bring the first lash upon her. In every heart was the question, would he allow his love to be violated or his law? And just as the whipmaster started to bring his powerful arm forward with the first cutting stroke on that frail, frail little back, the leader held up his hand to halt the punishment. A great sigh went from the tribe and his love was going to be satisfied. But what about his law? They watched him rise from his throne and as he strode toward his mother. As he walked, he was removing his own shirt. He threw it aside and proceeded to wrap his great arms around his little mother, exposing the huge muscular back to the whipmaster and the breaking of the heavy silence he commanded, proceed with the punishment. Thus, both his law and his love were satisfied. Beloved, that is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He came to settle your accounts. He came to be judged. He came to wrap his loving arms around you and be beaten for your sake. Can I just encourage you to settle your account before it is too late? Receive the judgment of Christ on your behalf. Believe in him. Believe that Jesus Christ came from God to be judged for you and live. Or you could wait and settle your account without Christ and you will never get out until you pay the very last penny. Beloved, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one will settle their accounts except through him. He offers himself to you. Will you receive him and him alone? Let's pray. Great God, we know that our account needs to be settled with you. So God, I pray now that you would remind us, those believers in the room, God, that you would remind us that our payment has been met, that the fire of your judgment has been taken on the back of Christ. He bore our sins. 
in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. And God, if there are people here who have not put their faith in you, God, I pray that you would allow them to settle their accounts this day with you, that they would stop running away and start running to you, that they would embrace you, that you would wrap their, your loving arms around them and let them know that their judgment has been settled. Dear God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that um, you came to bring peace to the blood of your cross. God, we know that that is a difficult message in our day. God, we pray that we would receive the word of God and accept it, not as the word of men, but as it, what it really is, the word of God. And we trust, Lord, that that word would work in our lives for your glory's sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.